Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with the Wednesday night wrestling edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back to break down every single thing that happened Wednesday night in NXT and on AEW Dynamite, and we are going to get to all of that very shortly. As we always do, a couple reminders before we get into it today. Please head on over to Twitter, follow our podcast account at Getting Overcast. Of course, if you decide you want to follow the Silver King personally, you can do so at Silverstein Adam. Not only do I tweet about professional wrestling and sports, really primarily sports, entertainment, movies, TV, and right now, Big Brother is back, the best reality show of all time. And I am very excited about that airing a couple times a week on CBS. Awesome, awesome show. It's an all-star cast this year. The Silver King could not be more excited. Unfortunately, what that happens to mean for me is this past Wednesday night was a train wreck. I had to watch two hours of NXT, two hours of AEW Dynamite, and a two-hour Big Brother special. So I am tired. I do not drink coffee, so I am not wired. But nevertheless, I am here to break down everything that happened on Wednesday night. Also a reminder to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us that five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Every single time you guys rate and review the podcast with five stars, it helps. We just recently jumped back into the top 40 wrestling podcasts in the United States of America last week. It's big. I mean, the show's only been around a couple months, listenership's going up every single episode, and the only way we're gonna keep growing and going on is with your positive reviews and telling your damn friends, family, doctors, lawyers, anyone you know who likes wrestling, tell them to listen to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But this episode is not about reviews. It's not about Twitter. It is about NXT and AEW. And folks, we had ourselves four hours of high quality wrestling television on Wednesday night. Big dog. That's right, Roman. It was big dog from NXT and it was big dog from AEW. Off the top, before I get into each show, breaking them down, I did want to address something. You know, we talked about it a little bit last week, how there seems to be criticism for me whenever I criticize AEW. And it's really strange. And it's honestly, it's unfair, at least in my opinion. Um, Look, on this podcast and in the history that I have done professional wrestling audio, I have absolutely ripped WWE to shreds at times. I have criticized NXT heavily. I mean, I don't think there's been a bigger critic of the way they plan out their shows and their tag team division, especially over the last, you know, six months or so than the Silver King. I don't think anyone has been as consistently angry as some of the things that NXT has done. But something I'm noticing, and it's not just on this podcast or podcasts in general, but it's on Reddit, it's on Twitter. It's almost as if it's fair to criticize WWE, it's fair to criticize NXT, and obviously, of course, NXT is an offshoot of WWE. But if you say anything sideways about AEW, it's seen as blasphemy. Like, you're not allowed to criticize this new wrestling promotion and product that people like. And guess what, folks? I am a huge AEW fan. I have seen every episode of Dynamite. I've watched every, watched and paid for every single pay-per-view they've put out. No, I have not bought a shirt and I probably will not buy a shirt. Uh, but beyond that, I am a big AEW fan. But the tribal nature that wrestling has gotten into, it, it almost rivals 
some other things in our culture right now, I don't think it's healthy for anyone. And if you come into this show or watching wrestling on Wednesday nights every single week, and you think either NXT or AEW are a perfect product that are free from criticism and don't have flaws, then you're just kidding yourself. I mean, both NXT and AEW are different types of wrestling that will appeal to different types of people from, let's say, WWE as an example. So if I happen to be a bit more of a traditionalist, or if I happen to prefer the style of NXT, that doesn't make me biased against AEW. What it means is that I'm honest, that when I come on this podcast and I break down for you what I like and don't like from NXT and AEW, guess what? You're listening to this podcast, at least I hope, because you're listening to my opinions. You want to know what I think. That doesn't mean you have to change your mind. And you guys know if you tweet me or if you send me DMs, I love talking to you guys about professional wrestling. You want to disagree with me? You send me a DM, tell me why I'm wrong. We'll talk it through. And guess what? Maybe the next week I'll watch the AEW product a little bit differently and maybe my mind will get changed. That's what this is about. It's a discourse between me and you on this Thursday show. And the other thing to address is I know you guys would love to have a Thursday co-host. No one wants a Thursday co-host on this podcast more than I do. It is very difficult doing approximately an hour of professional wrestling audio all by myself. The problem is coming out of Wednesday night, and I have to imagine this was a problem in the Monday Night Wars, even though podcasts didn't really exist back then. Um, But it's very difficult to watch four hours of wrestling either before bed or before taping an early Thursday morning podcast. So the number of people who either are capable of doing that or want to do that in order to then tape a podcast, and by the way, who I would like to do a podcast with, it's a finite number of people. So look, I'm working through it. I'm trying to figure out ways to get other voices on this Thursday show. I do, as of right now, have someone lined up to join me next week to discuss AEW Dynamite, considering it is going to be a special edition of AEW with the the tag team extravaganza. I I forget exactly what they're calling it. Um, But I am going to look to get some additional voices on the Thursday show. Look, show's only been around a couple months. We're learning, we're growing, we're improving. Hopefully you guys are seeing that improvement and seeing that growth as long-term listeners. The numbers certainly are going up, so that's a positive thing. I appreciate all of that. Um, But look, I can only do what I can do, right? It, It starts with the technology, which I'm going to be purchasing all that stuff soon. I really appreciate everyone's donations. Uh, And it includes the production and includes the cast of the show. So we are working through it. You have to remember the show started in the middle of a pandemic. So it's a crazy world right now. But the Silver King is here to talk wrestling every Tuesday, Thursday. And you know, there's special episodes and instant analysis to go along with it as well. But we're not here to talk about tribalism. We're here to break down NXT and AEW Dynamite, folks. And we are going to start with NXT Every week when I begin talking about NXT, I discuss issues I have with how they build the show, how they struggle at many times to retain viewers. They absolutely nailed it this week. 100% perfection achieved. They started with the top woman basically on the entire brand to open the show. They moved into a great match that did not have enough star power in it to open the show. So that was a smart decision. Then they put their champion at the 9 p.m. crossover hour. And while the main event was only 14 minutes, it was obviously not meant to be a featured match like we normally get. So in that case, it was acceptable. For a two-hour show build, NXT did as good of a job Wednesday night as they ever have since they went to two hours beginning in October. There was no reason to change the channel 
if you are an NXT viewer from the second you put the show on until the second it ended. And that is not something that NXT does every week. In fact, there's many weeks where they fail in that regard. This was not one of those weeks. It was just very smart booking and storytelling all throughout. We're going to start, of course, with the biggest moment coming out of the show. And it was the main event, but it was not the tag team match, tag team title match with Imperium defending their titles against Undisputed Era. It was clear from the start that this match was only meant to serve as a backdrop, a storytelling device for the Adam Cole-Pat McAfee feud. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, those were two extremely talented teams that in kayfabe largely got ignored while the cameras kept showing commentary as McAfee sat there with Tom Phillips uh, and Cole kept looking over at him from ringside as Roderick Strong tried to get his leader to stop being distracted and pay attention on the action. What I liked is that once they came back from commercial, Mauro Ranallo jumped in and played a larger role in the commentary. He actually called the match, which was largely ignored for the first four or five minutes of it. Again, it wasn't just that these teams were good. This match in the background, and I know a lot of people were so focused on Cole and McAfee, but the match was really good. So it was a little bit of a disappointment that we did not get Imperium Undisputed Era for 25 minutes in the main event of NXT. But as I've mentioned in prior weeks, I do personally believe that Undisputed Era is on their way out of NXT, and certainly you're not going to have them win the title. So did they need to do that with a real finish to have Imperium win clean? No, they probably didn't. As far as what happened here, I thought it was a smart swerve for NXT to show Cole and McAfee making up earlier in the day as if the beef had been squashed. It made you think, oh, maybe they're actually using this only as a promotional tool for this particular episode, and they're not going to go further with it. So it was a great swerve. Dusty Rhodes would have been proud of that. We had McAfee talking shit. I'm going to call him McAfee a couple times. It's just, it's just going to happen. But uh, we had McAfee talking shit uh, the entire match on commentary, distracting Cole, and eventually calling him an angry elf. And that's what set him off and began a confrontation with the guys eventually getting separated by Triple H and Shawn Michaels. And then, holy shit, McAfee was awesome in the final few minutes saying to Cole, nothing is ever going to change for the rest of your life. You're going to be a tiny, itty bitty, short little bitch. And he gave that emphasis on bitch, which I always appreciate. And then one of the greatest punters in NFL history punt kicked Adam Cole's chin basically off his body while Cole was scrapping to fight and get over that announce table. Look, as I just said, McAfee is one of the greatest punters of all time. So they booked this segment so well that they even figured out a way for him to get a punt kick as his first wrestling type of action. It was so smart, so good. This is not the punt kick like Randy Orton, where someone's bent over and they kick him in the side of the head. Pat McAfee punted Adam Cole's face or chin. Head is really the word I'm looking for. He punted it like it was a football. He went underneath the head. It was just outstanding as a sports fan, as a wrestling fan, as someone who knows Pat's history, obviously in the NFL. It was such an awesome moment. It felt real. They built this so well over a two-week period. They didn't go too far too quickly. Now on social media, right before I'm taping the show, Triple H is challenging McAfee on behalf of Adam Cole to a match at TakeOver 30. We know we're going to get that, right? So like, how exciting is that going to be? What are the takeaways here? Okay, a couple things. First, we know we're going to get that match. So, so far, so good as far as the build is concerned. It's also pretty clear that Undisputed Era and Adam Cole are on the face side of this. I don't know if they're completely a face faction, if they're making them tweeners. 
but Cole basically got bullied and Kyle O'Reilly got the hot tag in the match. By the way, O'Reilly was absolutely awesome in his return match to NXT. Great to see him back. So look, this is a hot angle. And I know some people don't like when people from outside of WWE come in and get major opportunities at pay-per-view events, but McAfee's a known quantity in the WWE world. He's done numerous kickoff shows and watch-alongs. You know he's involved with the company. The guy's built, okay? He's a legitimate athlete. He's had a wrestling ring at his house for the last six years. So whether he's great in the ring, good in the ring, passable in the ring, I don't know. But he's either been training or at least is familiar with the confines of a squared circle. And Adam Cole right now is one of the best wrestlers in the world in terms of storytelling and booking matches. Um, Pacing matches, I probably should say. So this is going to be great. I am so excited about this. The segment was awesome. It was a great way to finish NXT. You know, do I think it won the ratings over a John Moxley championship match in AEW? Probably not. Moxley is AEW's biggest draw right now. But if you were watching that match with Darby Allen, and obviously we'll talk about that a little bit later, it wasn't necessarily the best. It was exciting action, but it wasn't a match where you thought there's an opportunity that the title might actually change. You pretty much knew Moxley was going to retain. So if you're finding out that McAfee's on NXT and he's on commentary and him and Cole are getting into it, if you're following on on Twitter or social media or something, I could see a possibility that people turn the channel and, and to see what happened. I don't necessarily think that's the case, but nevertheless, great segment to close the show. Closing a wrestling show on an angle, it doesn't always work, but when it does work, there's nothing better. There's a cliffhanger. You're excited to see what happens next week. This was a great finish to a great show, but we're going to talk about the rest of NXT right now. It opened up with that number one contendership match for the women's championship, Dakota Kai defeating Rhea Ripley. Ripley looked like a freaking star in this match. I've been saying this for, I don't know, eight to 10 months, but she is going to rule the WWE women's division for a long time. Kai ate a lot of offense in this match and played her role very well. The counter out of the prism trap was kind of a believable momentum turner for a more diminutive wrestler like Kai. And as a chicken shit heel, the interference made sense before she hit the GTK for the win. But considering it was Mercedes Martinez, I continue to be perplexed at the absence of Raquel Gonzalez. Obviously, in these times, we always go to coronavirus. We wonder, is someone sick or is someone hurt? What, what's happening? They did mention her on the broadcast. So that, to me, says they didn't write her off. They're not changing the direction of Dakota Kai. That is a positive thing. But look, Raquel Gonzalez is largely what has made Dakota Kai so interesting during her heel turn. So I definitely want her back. In the interim, though, Ripley and Martinez, they should be a great feud going forward. It's an up-and-coming young star against an experienced veteran. Ripley better win. Seriously, she's lost so frequently now. She lost to Charlotte Flair. She lost in the triple threat to Io Shirai and now lost to Dakota Kai in a number one contendership match. It does make storyline sense for Martinez to go after her considering Martinez is now a new member of the Robert Stone brand, but this needs to end with Rhea Ripley on top. Bronson Reed defeated Shane Thorne in the show as well. It was a solid battle. By the way, I think I said the North American match was second. Bronson Reed's Shane Thorne was second, but it was a really good match giving Reed more momentum with another victory now that he's being featured in the North American title match. He needs that push to prominence to make him a legitimate threat to win the title in that match at TakeOver 30. Thorne did a great job selling for his countrymen, and you could tell that these two had plenty of experience wrestling one another. So 
they're certainly friends. They're certainly people who have known each other for a long time coming out of Australia. I believe both are from Oceania. I could be wrong about that. Nevertheless, good match. Great way to get Bronson Reed over. Shane Thorne probably did the best wrestling that he's done in NXT or anywhere in probably a year. I mean, it was just a great match, great effort from him selling. So that was a huge success. We saw Legato del Fantasma uh, kidnap Fandango. I like that they didn't forget about this part of the group's creation and formation. And they looked cool as hell dragging Fandango into full sail and absolutely obliterating Tyler Breeze when he attempted a save. Look, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Santos Escobar is everything WWE has ever wanted in a Mexican star and more. I love Andrade, but Escobar, perhaps even over Andrade, has an opportunity to be a crossover Mexican wrestling star for WWE. His ceiling, you always talk about how high can people go in this company, right? Some mid-card champion, some main event contender. Santos Escobar's ceiling in WWE, and I truly mean this, is main event of WrestleMania. This guy is a legitimate wrestler. He's awesome on the mic. He's confident. He oozes machismo, as Razor Ramon used to say, or they used to say about Razor Ramon. And I could conceivably see him taking a WWE championship or universal championship into WrestleMania as a heel for a good guy baby face to eventually beat and go over huge. That is how good I believe Santos Escobar is. And I will stick to that. North American Championship qualifying triple threat match. Damian Priest beats Ridge Holland and Oni Lorcan. First off, major, major props to Ridge Holland for a fantastic basically debut against two veterans and and props as well to Damian Priest and Oni Lorcan for making Ridge Holland look like a damn star. This match was so much better than I anticipated. Just big, meaty men slapping meat. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. Please, gently, gently. I'm delicate. There was nothing gentle or delicate about this match. It was just a barn burner. I was pleased that they did not... like hotshot, I guess, Holland into this match. It's his first debut match. I know they've done it before where they've given people immediately immediate opportunities. I'd like to see the guy work for it a little bit. So Priest, he got the rub. He got the spot that he's earned. Forget deserves. Damian Priest has earned it, by the way. He's turned his character around in NXT. This also makes a future holland Oni Lorcan feud, at least obvious to me. That will be a great opportunity for Holland to go over hopefully clean over another badass in the company like Oni Lorcan. Shockingly, this may have been the best triple threat match yet, which is a stunner. I mean, the first one had Johnny Gargano, Finn Balor, and Bronson Reed. And somehow this one with Oni Lorcan, look, I'm not a huge fan of his. I know he's a good wrestler, not a huge fan. Um, And a, a debuting superstar in Ridge Holland may have been the best of the bunch to this point. They also later in the show did the simple confrontation between Priest and Reed, It was such a perfect setup, not just for the ladder match, but for these guys to have a big featured match on weekly NXT TV leading into the takeover. I want to see more from Bronson Reed. I want to see how he stacks up one-on-one with Damian Priest. That's really good booking. The North American ladder match is shaping up with some big boys, but unfortunately, we've now lost Dexter Loomis due to an ankle injury. So William Regal came out. He decided that the losers of all the triple threat matches who were not pinned or submitted. So that means Gargano, Balor, Holland, and one other person will compete in singles matches for the final two spots. I almost wish that 
They did something a little bit different where maybe they did two gauntlet matches or a last chance four-way. I I don't know how you do it when you have two open spots, but I just kind of wish that these guys, other guys, had to win triple threat matches to to qualify. And now all you have to do is win a one-on-one singles match. It seems like they have an easier road. I wish they figured out a way to make it a little bit more difficult. Maybe a gauntlet match for one and then a battle royal for the second spot. I don't know exactly what they could have done, but something a little bit different. And I know that they also said that the people competing are those who did not get pinned or submitted. And I know in the Loomis victory, he didn't really submit anyone. He knocked them out. But that's basically the person losing the match. So the fact that Gargano and Balor are both getting in here, it kind of doesn't really hold too much water, at least in my mind. We do know that Cameron Grimes and Kushida will be in the final triple threat match next week, along with a mystery opponent. It's really funny, by the way, that I think last week on the show, I'm like, how, how do you do these matches and not have uh, you know Cameron Grimes and Kushida? And all of a sudden, guess what? We have Cameron Grimes and Kushida. The truth is, I think both of them should be in it, but they got to get Kushida in there. Cameron Grimes has gotten a lot of screen time. Kushida's just been forgotten about. I know he was hurt right in the middle of him getting a push. You got to do something with this guy. He's an awesome junior heavyweight. He's a great wrestler. He needs to be in a big match like this. Speaking of Cameron Grimes, let's move on to Keith Lee defeating Cameron Grimes in a one-on-one match, non-title match. Love to see Lee being so serious all match, toying with Grimes' size, but also selling for the much smaller challenger. Grimes got a lot more offense than I expected with two near falls, including that awesome counter crossbody. That allowed Lee to look dominant in his finish. He really shined at the end of the match. He absolutely beat the shit out of Grimes in the finish with the spirit bomb. That was so devastating. Such a great way to end the match. I like that they're not pigeonholing Grimes into the chicken shit heel roll, but also are allowing him to look like a legitimate threat. That's something the main roster fails to do so often. He got a lot of opportunity to shine in this match, despite again being a loser. You kind of said to yourself, this is a guy that under the right circumstances maybe could beat Keith Lee. And a lot of times, especially when someone gets dominated at the end of the match, you don't come out of it thinking that way. In fact, the, the Keith Lee Cameron Grimes is a good juxtapositional match to John Moxley and Darby Allen, which we're going to talk about the main event of AEW in a couple seconds. After that match, you saw Karrion Cross backstage, again looked incredible, having laid out a ton of PC trainees while waiting for Regal to address his demand for a match. What didn't make sense to me, though, is Cross said Regal was nowhere to be found and ducking making a decision when Regal immediately addressed the North American title match and the stipulation that he was going to do in a couple of weeks on NXT in a segment later in the show. So Regal's clearly available, clearly making decisions. They need, if they're going to have Regal come out a week ago and say, you need to earn a spot and carrying cross, the only way he's going to earn a spot is by beating up PC talent. That doesn't really get it done for me. So they need to figure out a way to book that better or Regal never should have put his nose in the situation in the first place. And it should have just been cross beating people up and Lee demanding a match and them challenging each other and, and getting what they want at TakeOver 30. Inserting William Regal into it, it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. Now, maybe Regal puts Cross through a gauntlet match where he has to fight seven guys. So what, what happens if he does that? Carrying Cross runs through seven dudes, let's say, in a gauntlet match, looks strong as all hell, and then how do you have him not beat Keith Lee for the title, ultimately? I think they've booked themselves into a corner here. NXT long-term has a problem booking face 
NXT champions, the, the heavyweight champion, the main champion on their brand. And if Keith Lee became double champion only to give up the North American title and then lose the NXT title to Karrion Cross, that's not good decision-making. If they did it because they wanted Lee to have that distinction before he moves to the main roster, at least I can maybe understand that. But the main event division in NXT right now, I don't know that it's strong enough to lose Keith Lee, nor do I think Lee should be basically a one-month champion. I think he deserves better than that in NXT. Uh, Right before the main event, uh, Pat McAfee obviously came out, and the first match he did commentary for was Tegan Knox defeating Indy Hartwell. This was a good quick match to get a win back for Tegan Knox. I like Hartwell also, but Knox has continued to shine, pun intended. I don't necessarily know that this match was needed. Previously, I was going to say they should have cut this match to make the main event longer, but given what we now know about the main event, it makes sense they did not do that. Moving on to AEW, and huge improvement from last week's show. Back to the typically good, borderline great AEW fair that we expect on a normal Wednesday night. Just like with NXT, AEW built this show perfectly over two hours. No matter what show you watched, NXT or AEW, they gave you zero reason to ever change the channel at any point between 8 and 10 p.m. So I was just thrilled with the bounce back from AEW. I was heavily critical of it last week. I thought it deserved that criticism. It was legitimately a bad episode last week. They got back fully this week. There will be criticisms to to come as they're just were with NXT, but I loved what I saw from AEW on Wednesday night. We'll start with the main event. John Moxley uh, defending and retaining his title against Darby Allin. The promo freedom in AEW does not mean much for most of the roster. But when it comes to MJF, obviously, and John Moxley, it makes all the difference. Moxley's promo in hour one about Allen reminding him of himself, basically a younger version of himself, it was expert level building to a big match. And that's exactly what we got in the main event. These two are the perfect match for one another. Both crazy assholes. Moxley gets to play to his strengths of being a much larger guy than people realize. This guy is 6'4". Moxley's really damn big. And you saw that disparity in size when he got to match up with Allen. I would have loved to have seen them go 30 minutes, completely clean, real finish. AEW does not do a lot of distraction run-ins. So because of that, I don't mind a chicken shit heel like MJF hitting Moxley with the title while Wardlow distracted the referee. But for Moxley to kick out of a title shot to the head and Allen's finisher, the coffin drop, in very quick succession, even though he kicked out at a 2.9, it kind of left Allen with nowhere else to go. It made me feel as if Allen had no business even getting the title shot as the number five challenger as he only got close to a win thanks to the interference, but still didn't win after hitting his finisher immediately thereafter. So Moxley caught Allen's second coffin drop. And in my opinion, that should have been the finish to the match with Moxley just knocking him out cold. You don't need a pinfall. You don't need a submission. Moxley just chokes him out. He catches him while he's lying on the ground. So you can see his energy is depleted. He's been totally beaten down. Instead, Allen escapes it. Then he kicks out of a gotch pile driver. And that sequence, by the way, was an ode to Minoru Suzuki, which was fitting for this match to say the least. And then Moxley stands up completely energized, almost like the ultimate warrior, starts pouncing around the ring like he's got all his energy back after taking a beating, taking a a, a finisher, taking a title shot to the head. 
And Moxley basically drags him into the paradigm shift, hits it, gets the one, two, three. I love the final shot of Moxley cradling Darby, showing that, hey, they're you know basically cut from the same cloth. But I just feel like every time Darby Allen gets a really big chance in AEW, ultimately by the end of it, he's made to look like he doesn't belong in that picture. I would say this would be the worst example of that, whereas, or, the, or the, maybe the best example of that actually is what I mean. Whereas I think when he fought Cody, that was an example of what they need to do with Darby. And you can't have a draw every single time, obviously. But you believe Darby Allen could beat Cody. I did not believe that Darby Allen could beat John Moxley coming out of this match. And as someone who really likes Darby Allen, that was a bit of a disappointment. The show opened with Dark Order uh, defeating the Elite and FTR in a 12-man match. This was light years better than the 10-man match last week. Nonstop action, which made for a great opening match. And it certainly retained viewers because there was not a breath to take, especially for like the first 10 minutes of the match when it was just nonstop. I like the Dark Order using the numbers advantage within the rules because there were multiple tags often throughout the match and they were able to get three, four, or five guys in the ring at the same time. That's good storytelling of strength and numbers. And Dark Order crows so much about that being the strength of their organization yet they're always losers and they never take advantage of it. They finally got an opportunity to do so here. The last moments of the match were also smart. Brody Lee hitting the lariat on a distracted hangman Page, who was concerned that he almost hit his tag team partner with the buckshot lariat. Page sold it to death too. He really put over the move considering his finisher's a lariat as well, so he knew what to do. I loved the finish to that match. I gave them a huge break all match for occasionally ignoring the tag team rules because 12 people's chaotic. You're gonna forget things are going to get messy. And Dark Order was so deliberate about their tags that it made me say, okay, they're at least paying attention to the rules. But in the finish, the Young Bucks are standing on the ring apron. There's no tags, nothing happens. They run in out of nowhere. They double super kick, super kick party, everyone in sight, right in front of the referee. The referee doesn't even make an attempt to get them out of the ring. They allow all, they just allow them to do it. They move into the finish and it took me out of the match a little bit. Like I was just looking at it, I'm like, come on, that's clearly illegal ref, like you gotta call that. So I know the referee has a little discretion in AEW, but just maybe tag each other and then tag back Hangman and figure out a way to do it. I don't even really know. But you can make that, you can still have that same finish within the confines of the tag team rules. The positive coming out of the opener is the Dark Order finally got an impactful win. I believe in them more than I have in a while. That's not going to really change that I still think they're a dork faction, but between that and a match they had later in the show, suddenly they were more believable as a faction and made me think, hey, AEW may actually be doing something right with these guys. Next up was Best Friends against Santana and Ortiz. Another damn good match. The action in the first 45 minutes of AEW was really exciting. Jim Ross on the call mentioned that Santana and Ortiz were on a three-match winning streak. First of all, that's not true. I checked, so get your stats right. Secondly, they have not won a standard two-on-two tag team match, a regular tag team match on AEW Dynamite since January 20th. That's a problem. Them winning on Dark doesn't matter. Um, They haven't won on actual television in a regular match in like seven months, okay? That's disappointing for me. And the fact that they destroyed a soccer mom van afterward by taking out the windows and using that washable spray paint. In the moment, it was a bit of an eye roller. However, later in the show, when Best Friends came back out and cut a promo in front of the van, saying that Santana and Ortiz would have to apologize to Sue 
on speakerphone, that popped me in a major way. It was so serious about such a ridiculous premise. It reminded me very much of like American Vandal, that show on Netflix. It's it's taking itself so seriously, but when you actually think about what's going on, you wonder how could anyone actually think that that's real life, that someone would care to that level, that someone would do that in the first place, like Santana or Ortiz, and then that the best friends would have to act like teenagers and be upset about their mom's van. So I just really loved it. Um, it was just, it, it ended up being great, but I thought the destroying of the van in the moment, it bothered me a little bit. I was just like, this is kind of stupid, but best friends paid it off as they did previously uh, when Sue rolled up before their big title match that time. So love Sue, love the van, love best friends. They won me over in the end. Uh, Sammy Guevara eviscerated Matthew Hardy. I guess that's what he's calling himself now. I mostly disliked Hardy's promo. It was meandering. And how many times does AEW need to tell us that they give fans what they want? We get it. We know you pandered to the crowd. I don't need Matt Hardy reminding me of that. That said, Guevara's attack was awesome. I love that he was throwing weapons at Hardy and that corkscrew like 6.30 off the stage was freaking sick. Hardy really bled there. It looked, I knew it was real and it probably came from either the shot into the ring post or the chair that was thrown out of his head. But there was so much blood and it was so red that it looked like someone poured a paint can on him. So look, we talk about AEW, do they blade too much, whatever. They have not used color that frequently recently. In this case, I don't think it was in purpose, but it worked so well for that segment and it really made Sammy look great. I really hope that ultimately when this feud ends, it is Sammy going over Hardy and not the other way around. Cody and Matt Cardona defeated the other two members of the Dark Order. I think the only thing more laughable than Cody's ridiculous pyro is the fact that Zack Ryder got pyro at all. Cardona did actually look good in the match. He definitely was the featured part of it on purpose, but there were no tag rules whatsoever. It was worse than the 12-man match earlier in the show. And the mediocre Dark Order members, they got far too much offense against the TNT champion and a hyped debuting wrestler who was having his first match in the company. I would have liked to have seen Cody and Cardona win that a lot easier than they actually did. It looks like Scorpio Sky is going to get the next TNT title shot. That's exactly the type of match I want to see for the title. I just said this last week. I want legitimate challengers who can beat Cody with at least a minimal amount of build. And even a simple stare down and challenge like Scorpio Sky did totally accomplishes that. He's also been winning matches on AEW Dark, so there is additional backstory behind him earning his stripes as a singles competitor. But just doing that for me got the job done, got me excited to see Cody defend against him. I'm very excited for it, and I'm going to say it right now, and I mean it, Scorpio Sky should probably win the title. That would be a great booking. We saw the Super Wednesday debate with Eric Bischoff, starting with Bischoff. He was good in his role. I like that Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone made a big deal about it on commentary, but Bischoff was there with a job to do. So while, yes, it was another WCW or old school type of guy being thrown into a role on AEW television, presumably this was a one-off. And as such, it completely worked for me. Bischoff, as I said, did really well in his role, and they didn't lean too much on WCW or he's been on WWE TV recently or, you know, blah, 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 whatever the case. I like the way they used him and the back and forth between Jericho and Bischoff of I've hated you for 22 years and Bischoff's like, no, I've actually, well, that's true, but I've actually hated you for 24. It's funny because Jericho, I think, left WCW 
22 years ago. And Bischoff, I think, joined WCW 24 years ago. So that means when Bischoff joined, he hated Jericho from the beginning, but Jericho didn't hate him until he left. So that was all really fun and interesting for me. Uh, It was a nice tongue-in-cheek reference, I guess, for older wrestling fans. As far as the debate itself, Jericho is obviously outstanding on the mic. Everything he said earned a chuckle from me. With Orange Cassidy, they pulled the old school bit with Will Ferrell, basically seeming dumb, seeming unable to intelligently speak, and then coming out of nowhere with all of their energy, giving a highly intelligent response and then taking a deep breath afterward. I found the entire thing rather boring, despite respecting the booking of it, until Cassidy's final answer. That was fantastic and the perfect way to shut a heel like Jericho up. While this was a bit weak at points, it was way better than expected. I'm not sure what I believe Orange Cassidy's ceiling is at this point. I don't know if his ceiling is mid-card title holder. Should he get main event title shots? Can he actually be a world champion in AEW? I know fans love him, but just because fans love you doesn't mean you're right for those specific roles. The way AEW goes, I wouldn't be surprised if one day Orange Cassidy is, is the world champion, but considering the names they have on that roster, the talent the ability. I think he may be a little bit too gimmicky to actually reach that pinnacle. But I do think he can be a upper card guy in AEW. And as long as they allow his character to transition and develop over his career, then I think they can do something really good with him. That was a solid promo. We know he's great in the ring. He looks different. He acts different. He is an entertaining part of AEW every week. And lastly, Big Swole defeats Reba. It was a wrestling match. It was a two-minute women's match on a two-hour show. Zero point zero. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. I know AEW is hampered in the women's division right now. I totally get it. But they are running a women's tag team tournament. You cannot find a couple of women to have a seven-minute match or do a couple different segments on your show. Like, what's going on here? And this is not me standing for women's wrestling. It's about variety. You're killing it with the tag teams, absolutely killing it with the tag teams. Your singles picture for the men, it's awesome. It's really good. It's almost as good as as WWE. It's, it's a little bit better right now than NXT, considering the talent they have and considering it's only one show. The women's division is horrible. It just is. Even when it's at full strength, it's only marginally good. Right now, it's horrible, and they need to do better. So that's NXT and AEW breaking down everything that happened on those two shows this Wednesday night. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow the Silver King at Silverstein Adam. Also, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop that five-star rating and review for the show. Let us know how much you love Getting Over. It helps us with Apple Podcast rankings. It helps us get more people listening. The more people listen, the more awesome things we can do on the show. No DMs again this week. Just too much happened. Don't have a lot of time. We will hit your DMs on Tuesday and Thursday, both episodes next week. And as you all know, anyone who sent a DM or sent a tweet that I did not answer on the show, which this week was no one, I have answered you personally. So keep sending them. I'm happy to talk wrestling with you all week long. So the Silver King is saying goodbye. That means there's one more person that needs to say goodbye before we get out of here. Something going that's oh, really big. Mercy. Yeah, look at the old school right now and tell them about.
Thank you all for listening. We will be back on Tuesday breaking down everything in the world of WWE. Bye for now.